spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Welcome to a new spin on autism. Answers with host and international speaker and performer, Lynette Louise. Besides working on her doctorate in psychophysiology, Lynette has raised eight children, six adopted, and four of them falling somewhere on the autism spectrum. Laugh with her, cry with her, as she talks to both experts and parents and takes you through the often confusing, sometimes frustrating, sometimes overwhelming, but always fascinating world of autism. Hello and welcome. This is a new spin on autism answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as the Brain Broad. And today is a rainy, cold, terrific day. I love rainy days. So my son and I went and we bought ourselves a treat. We got pop. That's always a treat. For you Canadians, you understood pop. Uh, some of you didn't, so I'll call it soda. Anyway, we both had a soda, and we sat in the car in the parking lot, and we watched the rainfall and the people running for umbrellas and just trying to stay dry, and it was really fun. We did that for like about an hour and then came home. So that's my idea of getting out into the town and having a good time. That's how old I am. In the old days, we'd have actually walked in the rain, but now I drive. All right, so that's what it's like where I am. I don't know what it's like where you are, but try to stay warm and cozy while we do the show. We have a great guest today, as we always do. Um, I'm excited about today's guest because she's not used to doing radio. So sometimes, you know, we get these people that are really used to it, and they've got all their points, and they know what they want to say, and it can get stilted. So what I love about someone who's not used to doing radio is that they are really more natural. So we're going to have an actual chat with Trez, and I'm excited about that. But before we get to her, I just want to remind you to stay to the very end of the show where we'll do stories from the road. And I've been telling so, so, so many stories about my life that I promise you I am going to bring up a story from one of the people that I play with or work with out in the you know, the world of autism. Um, in the meantime, before we get to Trez, I also want to remind you about the okay, 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 great guest giveaway because she's going to do both. She's got something to give away, and that's really cool because I hate having to find another guest. It's way too much work. Okay, so uh, before I move on to talking to her, I have been remiss as of late. I have not been bringing up a question that we then answer at the end. So I think I'm going to do that right now. The question of the day shall be, how do you choose your teacher? (laughs) I like that. Because she's a teacher, so it seems pretty perfect. All right, so we're going to be talking with Trez Ibrahim, and she is a high school special education teacher in Long Beach. And she's done that for the last 15 years, working with teens, Identified with learning disabilities, emotional disabilities, autism, autistic-like behavior, and intellectual disability. We're going to ask her a little bit about autistic-like behavior. I find that one interesting because that's diagnosis that one of my sons had. He had global retardation, fetal alcohol syndrome, and autistic-like behavior. And eventually they just said he was on the spectrum. So I'm curious about what she sees as a difference there. So we're going to get into that. Also, she's the founder and CEO of A-plus Education Consulting and Life Mastery Solution, where she works with individuals to assist them in achieving high standards and achieving more than they ever could before. That sounds pretty awesome, actually. So I ran into Trez at a conference that I was at, and I got talking with her, and I just thought she would be a fantastic guest, and I'm sure she's not going to disappoint. So let's get straight to it and start with um, autistic-like behavior. Trez, what does that mean? Yes. Um, well, thank you for, for that introduction. I really appreciate that. Autistic-like behavior is what I find. You know, we're, we don't diagnose as teachers. It's really up to the medical profession, um, and so they will give us that diagnosis. And oftentimes, students who aren't quite um, exhibiting 100% of the autism um, diagnosis, but but you know there's something um, disconnected about how they relate to the world, and they can't quite categorize them. They just autom- automatically, I think, choose autistic-like behavior. So a lot of it is their social interaction, 
Um, sometimes their fine and gross motor skills are a little off. Um, but again, it's, it's, we don't diagnose them. It's, it's really up to the medical profession. And what I see in the classroom is, um, these are, these are students that are really hard to, to pinpoint exactly what is, um, how they're perceiving like call the world, <laughs> how they're, exactly, it's, it's, you know, you're trying to, you, you, it, it, it is a little bit, you do have to really pay attention and almost intuitively know how they're looking out at the world, what information they're picking up, and how they're processing it. So it's not a clear diagnosis. I have to tell um, you. Uh, at first glance. So I have to tell you a cute story about that particular son, the one that I uh, was referring to that was given the diagnosis when he was younger of autistic-like behavior, global retardation, and fetal alcohol syndrome. And he's adopted. I didn't cause the fetal alcohol syndrome. Okay, so um, he, he'd been with me for about a year at this point, and we switched schools, neighborhoods, everything. And so he went into the classroom and, you know, spent the day in school, and I didn't warn them. <laughs> And so then I'm, because, you know, you never know, they're adopted, maybe they, they'll do better in this class, and, and, you know, it's worth a try. So I'm standing in the hall, and I see the teacher coming towards me, and she has this look on her face like, what the heck did you give me? And, and I remember thinking, I guess it showed, so... I will forever Aww. remember her expression. She turned out to be a wonderful teacher and actually followed us to a, a couple of different schools. So uh, it all worked out really well. But that one day when she first came, because he'd apparently been crawling under his desk and all kinds of things. So your kids, oh though, God. are older, right? They are older. They're in high school. So um, I do ninth and 10th grades, anywhere from 14 to 17 years old. And how do you handle such a sort of a mishmash between emotional disabilities, learning disabilities, autism, autistic, that's a lot of kind of difference. Do you think that's a good thing, a bad thing? Let's talk about that a little bit. Integration's always up for discussion. You know, honestly, when you look at best practices in, in the classroom and in the, in the educational system, all students really need the exact same thing, which is that personalized education. They need multi-sensory instruction. They need um, the attention. They need that positive reinforcement. Um, and and in addition to that, you know, as, as I'm teaching the lesson, I do know my students' abilities and where they're lacking. And so I'm able to really kind of hone in on offering them additional support um, wherever they're missing. So if one student has a hard time listening to me, then another person is very auditory. I may, you know, talk for a little bit, and then I make sure that I switch modes and to provide some visual instruction or have them go up and, and start to kinesthetically practice whatever it is we're learning. So uh, I do, I'm all for integration. I think it's amazing and it's, it's beautiful for students to be able to, to interact with people that are different from them and recognize um, behaviors that they may not really be used to and notice the difference. You know, they're, they're doing something I'm not doing. And they start to open up their awareness and open up their field of possibilities of, of how they can react in the world and how they can respond in the world. So, so it's, uh, so yes, I'm all, I'm all for integration and, and I believe that, um, I mean, I can go into a regular, uh, regular ed classroom and probably teach the exact same way I'm doing the special ed classroom. Uh, yeah, because probably. all students need that, yes. Yeah, probably so. So uh, how big are your classrooms? Uh, maximum is 18. My smallest class is 8. Oh, that's so But nice. generally I get about 16, 17 students. And do you have an assistant? I do. I have a one paraeducator in the classroom, and that's standard. Um, the, the special day class I teach is for mild to moderate disabilities. So um, we do have a paraeducator in the class that can provide one-on-one -on -one support um, or instruction um, or even behavioral intervention if that's needed. Myself, uh, what I noticed is that the the children that were super, super, super challenged, they got all kinds of services. And um, so I'm sorry, that was super wise? Super challenged, got all kinds of services. Okay. And then the ones, because like, I had a, I had the spectrum in my house. So, um, you know, my son that was super challenged, all kinds of services. The ones in the middle 
not much. And then the ones that are, you know, sort of on the end of the spectrum and able to make it, they got a lot of help as well. So I'm curious how the, that was many years ago, my kids have grown. So what's it like now as far as getting services where there need, there is a need to get services? Are the kids falling through the cracks when they're high functioning? How, how does it all play out? You know, that's an interesting question you, you asked because I'm a, a huge advocate for my students and um, I, I, I hate to admit this out loud on the radio, but it really is up to the advocacy. Um, there are generally, you know, uh, students who will be identified as, an, as needing um, a one-on-one, you know, one-on-one aid or speech language services or, you know, myriad of services. But if they are kind of functioning and they're not really standing out, it does um, require someone to advocate them for them. So it could be a parent, it could be a medical profession, it could be the teacher, it could be somebody in the school that will say you know, look, we need to step in and address this issue because the student is capable of much more and with some additional support they can achieve that. So it, it really is, I mean, if, I, if I were to talk to parents, I, I would say they, they really do need to advocate for their students and educate themselves on what's available and what could uh, their students benefit from. I think there's another piece too. So and I've never gotten really excellent at it. So let's get some insider info here because our audience is parents and teachers. We have a nice mixture. Mm-hmm. I found that I was always advocating too hard <laughs> and alienating yes. some of the some of the powers that be. So do you have any advice on sort of process or style perhaps for the parents so that they can make sure that they're being heard when they advocate? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it, it is a delicate balance, and I think um, communication is key. And really understanding, you know, teachers have been working with um, a you know, large number of students. You know, you get a, a whole new group every year. And so they've seen, um, it's, it's almost like you, you, you see the same kids every year, just in a different face and a different name. Right. So you know, you really do know what the students are capable of and how much they can grow and how much they can progress. So the teachers really do know a lot, especially the ones that um, really just love their job and love the kids and really um, are passionate about what they do and, and have that intuitive sense when they're working with, with, the, with the students. And I think that's really important with students with disabilities. So for the parents, um, what I would offer is, is you know, just be a partner rather than um, a an adversary. Um, talk to talk to the teacher. Share with them some of the things that you know work with your child. Because again, you know your child more than anybody. You've been work, you know, with them. I mean, my parents have been with my students for 15 years, so they know um, how they progress. So having that back and forth communication, sharing with them what. Um, you know, a little bit about your child and then asking them, you know, what their experience is with students of, you know, my, my, you know, my little Johnny's level. Um, what kinds of things do you think he can do? How much do you think he can grow? And um, really start to listen, listen to, you know, how they're going to work with them, um, what, they, what they plan to do to really intervene in, in whatever area they're, the student's lacking. So it's really, I think, a back and forth communication. Um, I think it gets adversarial when there is a clear, um, almost a dismissal of, of the student and, um, and also a, um, what I find sometimes um, are teachers who, who really throw their hands up and say, you know, this kid isn't going to grow anymore. And that's really the saddest thing I, I ever hear from other teachers um, because I believe everybody can can grow. And so I, sometimes the lack of services is due to to teachers, administrators believing that this kid is capped out. Um, I, so I usually think that's kind of like a burnout for the teachers. It's like what I noticed with my kids was 
the all the teachers, all the assistants, everybody would start with all this energy and this sort of really high bar for what was possible, but just the daily grind of trying to be so repetitious and teach it over and over and over again or whatever was required um, in the politics of, of life and school and, and jobs. And some of them burn out partway through or they burn out soon. And then I would just move my kids to a different group of people. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, it's funny because when I first started teaching, I went to this lecture about, um, it was kind of a new teacher orientation, and they give you the, they map out the calendar of the entire year and they graph um, a teacher's, I don't know, I remember what they call it, enthusiasm, passion, excitement, or maybe even energy level. And, you know, at the beginning of the year, they're very, very excited, and then near um, near Christmas, you know, things start to get a little you know, the kids are antsy, the teachers are antsy, you know, it's been, you know, three, four months of, of straight teaching, and so there's kind of a little bit of a dip in energy, and um, after the, the break, you know, the, the graph goes up, and it's always around spring, that's just the longest stretch of teaching with no days off, that um, the kids are really um, antsy, and the teachers are just very drained, so... Um, so the energy dread, um, dips, and then eventually it picks up again. So I think it's just a natural um, ebb and cycle. Flow. Yeah, it's a ni- and it's an, I think it's a natural ebb and flow and a natural cycle over the ten month school year, um, where it just it, for any teachers out there that are listening, I, I really um, you know they and they wouldn't really understand. You are on from the minute you step onto a campus till the minute you leave, and there's really no breaks, and so to be to be physically um, vigilant for eight hours straight, or you know about seven hours straight, where you can't even go to the bathroom, you can't even have lunch. I mean, you're just literally on because when as soon as you let your guard down, something's happening with Johnny over there, or you know this kid is is throwing a fit, or so you there are really no breaks. Um, so it's 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 emotionally um, challenging and physically challenging. And um, it can it can be a drain, and and I think the same with parents. I mean, I can't imagine having um, you know a child, and I, I think of my most challenging students um, being at home and dealing with the big tantrum, temper tantrums or or whatever their behavior is, you know, twenty four seven during vacation. So both ways. I mean, the parents and the teachers. I think we we all need breaks. And we all need to take care of ourselves, and we all need to um, really nurture ourselves so we are able to show up 100% for the kids um, the entire year because they deserve it. Kids really right. deserve I agree. it. I agree. And actually, I think I'm going to change today's question because I don't think we really have the power to pick our teachers, but we often have the power to pick the assistant. And I think that you might be able to give us some really good advice here. So. You know, as a parent, I know myself, I often was able to have some some say in who was going to be working as a one-on-one with one of my kids or just working in the classroom to assist the teacher or if there was like a personality rub. I would have a little bit more power with the with that piece of it than I would with the teachers. So in those terms, in the terms of picking assistants and people that are going to be in the classroom working with you to facilitate uh, a better situation with the other kids, what advice can you give us? What should we look, be looking for so that we know you know, that we're helping make a more sort of blended community instead of uh, something where it's adversarial or lazy (laughs) or like, you know, when we're giving our our two cents as parents, what would you suggest we look for in an assistant or a one-on-one? Well, I think, um, number one, they have to really like the child. Um, they just really have to have a lot of affection and, and want to want to work with this with this student. And and in my experience with the aides that I see, I mean they all really do grow um to love the children and, and really start to be very protective. They're almost like their parents on campus. So they had there has to be that that affection for them. They have to like the child. And um they have to have the the approach um that you expect them to to have. So if there's, um, you know, if you're generally gentle with your with your child and 
uh, your child responds to that gentleness, then then that's how um, the age should should follow. If um, you're very uh, kind of monotone and very clear and very directive with your child, and that works for for the child, and that's how the the age should should be as well. Now, um, IVI aides have gone through a lot of a lot of training and and are knowledgeable about cutting edge behavioral intervention. So sometimes being open to approaches that you're not used to um, may prove to be really successful um, and really beneficial. So I, I would say in addition to um, kind of checking out their personality and, and how they interact with your child, it's also being open to a different approach. I really um, like that they idea. May not Looking for a reflection of our personality. I think that very often we go with opposites, and maybe that's not the wisest idea. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, no, very good. And I like, and thank you for the comment on being open-minded. You're listening to a new spin on Autism Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as the brain broad who just ran out of breath saying her own name. Okay, don't forget to stay till the very end of the show where I'll do stories from the road. And Trez, who is our great guest, is also our okay, 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 great guest giveaway. So Trez Abraham has been a school special education teacher in Long Beach for the past 15 years. She works with teens, and we've been talking a lot about, um, you know, how to mix it up with the classroom, how to be supportive of the teacher, how to be supportive of, um, you know, your assistant. So now let's see if we can just get a couple of stories that might help us to understand what her life is like. So you want to tell us a little bit of your daily life? Sure. You mean in the classroom? Yeah. What, what kinds of um, experiences yeah, get, make us Make us feel yeah. the teacher's shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, it's, it's funny because um, if you go to my classroom, it's not a typical classroom. I love the loud classroom. And I know it's very different for some, some of the kids. You know, with, with my autistic kids, they're very... Um, they they're already overstimulated because they don't have filters. So you know they can hear every conversation. They just pick up um, and so much information. Yet in my classroom, because we're so active, they tend to really be able to hone in on our instruction. So I'm very um, I have all the kids standing up. They're working. They're um, on the board doing you know math problems. I do teach algebra um, and reading and. So I have, you know, by by the middle of the year, I, my kids start teaching the class. And so right now I do have kids up on the board and they're teaching the class, even something they just learned. Oh, my gosh, um, I love that. The kids learn so much better when they get to be the experts. Yes, absolutely. And then being able to explain it to someone. Right. Um, what you know, one of the one of the things that I experience with my kids when they first come in is there's just this learned helplessness. You know, they've been told they're disabled, they've been told they can't learn, they've been told um, your scores aren't high enough, you're not doing well. And so they come in and they see algebra and they're thinking, well, there's no way I'm going to get this. So there's this, you know, this battle, in essence, that we have to go through um, to to get them to actually apply themselves. And then once they start... They're like, oh, okay, well, I get it, I get it. They don't want to go any further. And um, what they realize is when they start teaching is, oh, okay, I really need to, to, to get this almost on a cellular level. So they do learn more when they have to. They, they kind of they see it and they recognize it, so they think they've got it. Um, but the real challenge is being able to teach it. And I think that's when, like you said, that's when the real growth occurs. Oh, absolutely. Um, and for us too, right? Yes. Oh, absolutely. I I always teach when I want most want to learn. That's when I really get it. Yes. Right. Right. I think and that's awesome. A lot of okay. I'm sorry. I don't mean to yeah. interrupt you, but I just love that you said no. that. First of all, I just want to pat you on the back for um, knowing that there's this sort of learned um, low self-esteem, learned inadequacy, and thank you for pointing that out. That's brilliant, and I love how you're addressing it. What were you going to say that I interrupted? No, no, no. I was just going to add more about just um, the the act of nature that I really um, feel is important in the classroom. Yeah. Yeah. Well, very much so. Okay, so 
So you've got the kids teaching. They are higher functioning. So, you know, I, all, all you mums with the lower functioning guys, it's still good. It's still good advice. I get my um, lower functioning guys to become the teacher too. It's just they don't teach algebra. So, uh, you know, it's a good concept to think in terms of when you step into the role to pass that information, you actually, instead of feeling like you're being tested, you actually embrace the information and then and then put it out of you. And that makes it so that it grounds itself in learning. Um, so you've got them all up there teaching and teaching each other. What else would be a good example of what's going on for you in the class? Well, and I just want to backtrack just a little bit. Now, even with the lower functioning students, if they're up there teaching, they, they may need a lot more prompting. And I do offer the prompting, but they're, they're given that opportunity to still teach. Um, and I may guide them. And also the students will guide them as well. So, um, so everybody is, no matter what, what level they're functioning at. Um, so some of the other things, you know, we just really, we have fun and, and we get excited. And, and, you know, of course, in the beginning of the year, they think I'm crazy because I'm sitting there like, is it this cool? You know, when we're graphing. <laughs> and, and they're looking at me like, really? <laughs> but by the end, um, they just really, they really do have a good time. Um, I, I'm really hard on my students as much as, um, I you know, I seem... I think my kids, you know, will initially think, you know, I'm, or people will look at me and think, oh, you're just such a nice, fun teacher. I really do have high expectations, and I think that's important. Um, I tell, and I don't hide from the whole disability thing. You know, a lot of the kids will, again, with that learning helplessness, I, I tell them, you know, they'll say something like it's hard or I can't do this, and I say, you know what, you're right, it is going to be hard. You know, you're going to have to, unfortunately, because of, 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 um, some, you know, issues with processing or conceptualization, you're going to have to work 10 times as hard as anybody else or maybe 20 times as hard as anybody else. It doesn't mean you can't. It just means you're going to have to put a lot more effort and a lot more work. And um, and that's also a big hurdle because they, they don't want to work. A lot of the of kids, not. they're tired. Yeah. 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 They're tired. And so... But when I when they're they're continuously told you can do this and yes you know you're going to have to work and again I push them I, I really don't take excuses um, they start to become more successful and then gosh you know the the best part of teaching is is seeing them light up when they're able to do something that is is extremely complicated um, that they you know could never think they could do before. Uh, that's that's just the biggest joy. So really pushing um, how they um, how they work in their effort and also um, behavior. I really do um, push. How, I I I specifically teach them how to how to interact from how they blow their nose. I know this is high school. But, you know, you have kids that come in and they're, um, they've got really bad habits mm-hmm. and uh, inappropriate behavior. And it doesn't fly out in the real world. People will not want to be around them, will not want to, um, to talk with them. They may excuse them because they may seemingly look like they have a disability, but I still don't think that's an excuse. So with my kids, I'm very... Um, I, I I also directly teach how to you know, behave, interact with others, what they should say. I mean, how they even how they should dress. Um, I you know I I don't I tell them you know look at it look at how you look, you know with that would, would you hire you if you were um, wearing that dirty shirt, um, you know and they'll say because I live in a you know I work in a low income area and a lot of them will say well we don't have you know, money for laundry or we don't have to do this or that. And, and I say, well, I see you eating a bag of chips. So take those three quarters, you know, and um, we need to learn how to, how to do our own laundry. You know, it's not up to your mother anymore. So just, you know, that, the hygiene, the interaction, how they hold themselves, um, blowing their nose. I don't let kids, you know, pick their nose. I mean, it's just little things like that where you may think, oh, my gosh, you know, you are so mean. Um, I'm not. I, I, I. Well, you, no, I could use a fan mean, but I, I specifically think they need to learn how to fit into society. I think they need to learn that more than they need to learn algebra. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my son, all of my sons who are successful have had to deal with their habits 
and they all, you know, the ones that live independently and and have gotten to the point where they're probably still autistic, but you can't tell, at least not by the fact that they, you know, do well in the world. But um, but as they first did that, they ran into all kinds of behavioral issues and bad habit issues, and those are the things that tripped them up. Nobody ever came up and asked them an algebra question. So this is something that shows up for me a lot as a parent. I want my kids to be given the opportunity to learn whatever their brains can learn and whatever will will work for them. But for the most part, um, in school, we're not teaching the things that need to be taught. So if you're teaching that, that's much more important to me that, you know, like, for example, I'll, I'll break this one little thing down. I remember my one son, he always cut in front of the line. So he'd walk into a store and he'd think, you know, he was the most important person on earth and he needed to ask his question and he'd cut right into the front of the line and he'd start talking without saying excuse me or whatever, sort of like, where's the deodorant? If Let's say he's going to buy deodorant. Um, and it, I had to break it down for him, like, never mind the cutting in line part, let's just leave that out for now. But even just the you know, when you say excuse me, that's what makes them know you're talking to them. So they start to listen. So then you say, right. And I had to break it down one little iota at a time. And without opportunity to find out that your teacher, your parents, and all those people are right and, and that it gets in your way and you can't succeed unless you do all those things, I don't think the rest of the academic learning is of any value. Totally. I, I agree with you. And, um, that these these social um, lessons are extremely important. I do still believe there's value in education um, only because it teaches the students how to learn and it teaches them how to look for information. It does expand their mind to maybe some new ideas. Uh, it does give them some discipline when you're having to you know look up some something or turn in a you know an assignment. Um, it gives them all of those kind of job readiness skills and you know and I'm a bit of advocate for for algebra so I I didn't say I don't believe in yeah yeah no no I'm all for academics I just don't want academics without behavioral because that happens I see it too often where especially with the kids that are typers and not talkers there's too much focus on the academics and not enough focus on how do I interact, and then they end up more different and more unable to to integrate. It's hard. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. There, there definitely needs to be a balance with, um, like you said, with the typers. I, I did have a couple of students um, come in with who are just not verbal or very um, had a challenge with their with their verbal. Um, communication, and so they have the little computer devices and, and we're typing. And um, I, I, you know, don't tell my boss this or don't tell anybody this, but I took that away from them, you know, the first week, and, and I wanted to test to see how far they can go. And, you know, with one, actually with, a, with three of them I can think of specifically, um, they could verbalize. It just took them a while and it took them a lot, a lot of prompting. And after two years of, with them where they weren't, you know, using that device, um, they are almost, um, they're pre, they're, they're almost 100% verbal. They do st- still take a little bit of time, but, but to me, you know, they need to build those muscles. I mean, I the brain is constantly growing. And um, so, yes, yeah, so all of that needs to happen. We need to, we need to challenge our students to continue to grow. We don't, we don't want to handicap them by giving them a substitute for their own growth, something they can, you know, build on their own, like their speech or, or um, even just physical muscles. And, um, and there needs to be the balance. And, and algebra actually teaches you how to think. <laughs> so there's like a, there's a cognitive connection that are um, developed when you learn algebra. So it's not so much, you know, learning the algebra problem, but it's about reasoning. It's right. about reasoning and it's about connecting the dots that don't, don't quite connect. But, you know, in, in, a, in a mild to moderate special day class setting, if the student's diagn- um, in the mild to moderate program, I, there isn't a whole lot of behavior 
intervention and the social skills training that we're talking about is so important, explicitly taught unless it's taught within the classroom and unless it's taught um, as, a, as an ad- additional service. So I think that is something that's lacking. In yes, our it's, it really is. And it's one of the things that a lot of the adults um, that were mild to moderate that are now out in the world that you talk to will complain about. They feel like they need social skills training. Um, I've had yeah. a few guests on talking about it, as a matter of fact. And it, it would be lovely if we did more of that. Yeah, and you know, I, I think that the teachers, um, it's a the, the classroom is a great place to teach that, um, just in our normal interactions. And um, some schools incorporate things like lunch bunch, you know, different social type clubs. What is that? Best buddies. Uh, lunch bunch is just kind of a group of students that come uh, together during lunch, and they just practice social skills. So they'll talk. Um, and there's a, there's a different theme every day. So, you know, so one is how to eat in public. You know, you you don't, you know, talk with your mouth full. You know, you wipe your mouth in between bites and those kinds of things. So table manners. Another, um, another day we can um, practice taking turns speaking. So how do you listen and how do you respond to somebody listening versus cutting them off? Uh, another, cool. so different topics that are brought up during these lunch bunch. So it's specific, specific social skills training. Right. And that's another example of how our guys have to work so hard because even lunch, <laughs> even lunch is a job, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, poor thing. Yes. <laughs> okay, so, so let's talk a little bit about you're the founder and CEO of Educational Consulting Life Mastery Solutions. So what's that? So there's actually two um, two different um, organizations. A plus Education Consulting is um, training for teachers and for schools on behavior and um, management. And so it's really you know when uh, as a teacher when you go into a classroom, um, teachers will teach curriculum, and the way you teach curriculum is you provide a concept. You um, provide practice, you provide direct instruction, you provide, I mean, there's just, you know, you, you make sure that students learn it before you move on. And what happens is um, most schools, most teachers will expect that, expect students coming into the classroom already understanding how to behave. And so students will come in, they'll talk out of turn, you know, all these low-level behaviors that, that interrupt instruction. Mm-hmm. Um, occur, and then when the teacher is fed up, they kick them out of the classroom, go to the office, you know, call the parents. I mean, there there's this um, almost reactionary response to behavior. And so what I do and what I really believe in is behavior has to be explicitly taught just like a curriculum. So when the students come in, they need to learn how to walk in that classroom. They need to learn how to sit down. They need to learn what's the proper way to answer a question. What's the proper way to ask a question? When I say pull out a piece of paper and we're going to start working on this, how quickly should it take you to pull out that piece of paper? <laughs> and, you know, and teachers can really, um, under, you know, it, uh, I'm sure you have experienced this where you can say something like pull out a piece of paper and it can take, you know, Johnny over here three minutes to to, you know, rifle through his backpack and ask everybody next to him for a piece of paper or a pencil and there's just this disruption. So what it does is it takes time away from teaching, all these low-level behaviors. So what I do is I go there and, and, and teach teachers how to explicitly teach behavior um, and really spend the time in the beginning of the year to to offer that training so that the rest of the year you are using 100% instructional time and there are no interruptions and all the kids are on task and you can you can leave the kids I mean I can don't tell my father I can leave the I can leave my classroom and my kids know exactly what to do I don't even need to be there and my kids know exactly what to do and that's when you use 100% of your instructional time so this is offered as a school-wide program um, and then once they have the behavior management training, then the second tier is differentiated instruction. And that's where I come in and I train um, teachers on how to use multimodalities when they're instructing students. So they're, they're really providing a lesson that every student can absorb and remember and retrain, retain using um, 
you know, all the, all the learning abilities, so auditory, visual, kinesthetic, um, and, and make it engaging and make it exciting. The students, students, we're competing with, um, you know, the Instagram and Twitter and, and all this instant stuff, instant gratification. We need to step up and, and really provide that as well to our students. Um, give them more exciting and engaging instruction. Get them, get them really involved. So that would be the tier, the second tier um, training that I offer to to schools, and it makes a huge impact on discipline. Um, so we've ha- we've seen a, a tremendous decrease in disciplinary referrals and um, a large increase in test scores. So it makes a big difference in um, in those two areas. And then the teachers are just happier because <laughs> they're not, you know, having to deal with um, all the little again low level behaviors that just take time away from teaching and are just annoying and and right. disruptive. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you. And then the next piece I do is life mastery solution is more personal development work. Um, So that's individual coaching and um, curriculum that I teach for, um, that I teach individuals who really just have a big dream that, that they're calling, that's calling them. And I help them to um, just live a bigger life. You know, I've been in personal development, spiritual development for ever and um, have put together this program that really allows people to just live the best life they want to live and and um, decide for a dream and watch that dream manifest literally right before their eyes. So that I'm, I'm also very passionate in that. And I love being able to put the two together. I, I think it's uh, definitely no accident that I'm, that I'm working with youth and adults in, um, in very similar ways. Yeah, no, this is, I'm most impressed. All right, so let's talk about you being the okay, 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 great guest giveaway. <laughs> what what have you got to share with people that you might be willing to offer up? So I have put together some of my favorite quotes um, for teachers, and I um, am in the process of getting that published. So it should be ready, I would say, two, three months. Awesome. And I would love to offer that to all of your listeners. I would I would love to send that to them. It's called For the Love of Teaching, Inspirational Quotes for a Teacher's Spirit, Strength, and Sanity. So there's a little comic uh, relief in there um, because uh, we just need it. <laughs> we need to um, laugh. Yes, we need to laugh. And besides, people who laugh learn better. Brain-based learning. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So, yes, if you yes. guys want to get the the advanced copy of the quote, it's actually it's not advanced copy. You got to wait. But anyways, if you want to get a copy of the quote book, you're going to have to send me an email at mom number four evermore at juno dot com. What's the name of the book? For the love of teaching. Okay, so you put for the love of teaching in that subject bar, and I will pass it on. Plus, I will okay it as you you were the one who sent me the email first, because I'm not going to let her give away that many. She needs to make a living. Come on, she's a teacher. But I will let you have one. So go ahead and send me that. No, okay, three. So send me the email, mumforevermore, at junona.gmail.com, for the love of teaching, in the subject line, first three, get it. And I will pass it on to Trez. Okay, Trez, that's fantastic. Do you want to share your last little, because we're almost at the end here. I love your website or whatever you want to share so people can find you, can, you know, get to know you better, can ask your advice, can get your book, whatever. Um, But also your last sort of jewel, because we've been kind of all over the map here. We talked a little about assistance. We talked about teaching. We talked about the students. When you think majority of my listeners are parents, though many are teachers, um, when you think in terms of talking to the parents, especially since the teachers get a shot at the book, when you think in terms of talking to the parents, what would you say is your most important bit of advice that you want to share? You know, I think for the parents, it's really become a partner with the school and even a partner with your child. Leave the, leave the conference communication open. Um, your child, no matter if they're, they're, um, they're verbal or not, really have a lot to share with you 
and um, talk to you about what makes them happy, what what upsets them, what stresses them out. I think definitely the communication is huge. And raise, I don't want to say raise your expectations, but allow more room for your child to grow. I would say raise the bar. Whatever they're able to do now, raise the bar. You might have to instruct them. You might have to guide them. Um, but continue to 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 um, show them that you trust them enough to give them more responsibility and um, and that, and and know that they can succeed in that. I like that a lot. That's really good. All right, how do people find you? So um, I have two websites for the educational consulting. It's A plus and it's spelled P L U S. So A plus education consulting dot com. And then my other site, for more of the personal development and your spiritual growth, it's uh, lifemasterysolution.com. That's really awesome. You were a fantastic guest. Thank you so much for sharing with us today, and I think you've probably helped a lot of people. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was a wonderful experience, and I love chatting with you. I really appreciate you having me on the call. Wow, that was Trez Ibrahim. Wow, she was a fantastic guest. I guess you don't need to practice. You just need to be a good teacher. Okay, so it is time for Stories from the Road. So many things kept coming up for me. So, oh, yeah, the question of the day. Let's deal with that first. The question of the day got shifted to how do you, you know, pick your assistant. And I loved, I'm just going to highlight those two points again so that you remember them. The answer was pick somebody who's reflective of you if you do well with your child. (laughs) In other words, match personalities. And I thought that was an interesting thing because I've often seen people go with opposites. And sometimes that is problematic, so I hadn't really thought about that. But just pay attention to personality. I think that it makes sense to go opposites sometimes, but um, certainly think about it in advance. So I think that was a great answer that she had there. And then I also really loved when she said, you know, they're, they've become trained and made aware of many groundbreaking brand new things. So keep an open mind. And that's been a challenge for me over the years. I tend to be quite ready to be a mama bear and get in there and say, not with my kid, you don't. So every once in a while, I have to step back and my son's laughing. (laughs) Yes, I was like that. Um, Every once in a while, you have to step back and say, you know, just because it didn't work out with A, with B, I want to have an open mind and listen again. And it's good advice. So we can't really get anywhere if we step in with our fists up. So let's step in as partners and help our kids all together. If you're going to send them to school, you might as well be a partner. All right. So in my story from the road, I was thinking about all the kids that I've gone and, and gone into different schools with and helped them adjust in different schools and the times when it worked and the times when it didn't. And I think I want to share a time when it really, really worked. So it's a family that I had done a lot of at-home play with. They'd done a lot of homeschooling. And the child had reached sort of a ceiling, a point where it looked to me like we were just going to keep getting to a certain level and dropping down and then getting back up to that same level and dropping down. I call it the yo-yo period because it does happen a lot in families and schools, actually. Um, it's related to the burnout uh, or you you taught all you knew to teach, whatever it is. There's this place that you get to with the kids where you don't really know what your next step is. And so maybe do something to cause a regression so that you can start all over again. And it's like a yo-yo. You just watch it. The kids, they learn up to a certain point, then they drop down. Then they learn up to a certain point, and they drop down. And you can see even what's happening, but it's hard to prevent it. If that's happening, you've got to change. So in this case, in this family, the change required was to go to school. So we looked around trying to find a school that would accommodate her, that would accommodate the family. They had very particular needs. And I'm not going to tell them to you because that would make it obvious who the family is uh, to their relatives if they happen to be listening. So just that there were some very specific things that had to be accommodated for. So we finally found this one school, and it was so lovely. 
It wasn't any particular thing. They didn't have a particular approach. They weren't all ABA. They weren't all RDI. They weren't all floor time. They weren't, they were just a small school that had been put together by a woman who'd had a special needs son and really wanted to meet the needs of every individual child in the way that that child needed it. And the school was capped at 20, so it was a really nice size, and it was all different ages. It was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. They had a few teachers that they hired in, so there was a rotation of teachers, and there were some specialists that would come in, and they would have, like, art day, and they would have gym day, and they would have, like, so there was a lot going on. But there was just really this handful of students and this handful of core teachers and everybody else was kind of a contract employee. And why I loved it so much was exactly the idea of integration. In this situation, it was perfect. And I don't mean because of the integration of the students with neurotypical kids. I mean because of the integration of the staff. So the staff was integrated. They were not all trained in a particular modality. They were all trained differently, some not trained and then got trained on the job. Um, There were contract people, so people would come in with their own specialty and leave. And so everything that was done was done from someone's expertise in search of what rang the bells of the child. And this particular girl... Um, evolved before your eyes. Like it was like watching a time-lapse photography of a flower grow. She just went from having hit the ceiling at home to totally blossoming. Her language came out. Her interaction came out. Skills that nobody knew that she had. Um, I had suspected it, but nobody would listen. And here she was in this group of all different ages kids, all different disabilities, and all different kinds of teachers. So everything opposite to what you would expect. And she just flowered. Now, not everyone did. So I'm not saying that that proves that, you know, it's not true that you want everything the same or you need schedules. Or It was a, it's almost chaotic, and, you know, with these 20 people and all this constant change. It was almost chaotic, but not quite. There was a rhythm like a breathing in and breathing out to the school and an organization underneath this sort of mess that kept it together and made it an enriched environment instead of chaos. And that's what you're always looking for, is the ability to whatever level your child can handle it to create an enriched environment and not chaos. And I think that's also what I liked about Trez and maybe why I asked her to be on the show, because it sounds like she's a fun, lively teacher who enriches their lives with her style, but still demands um, sort of learning and behavior. And I think that's the secret. You know, you don't want to over-push, but you don't want to under-push either. You want to invite, 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 enrich, enrich, enrich. So, you know, just don't have expectations about what's going to work. Observe what works and do that. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as the Brain Broad. And this is a new spin on autism, Answers. Thank you for being here because without you I'd just be talking to myself. Thank you for joining the show today. Lynette is the author of the refreshingly honest and at times hilarious new book, Miracles Are Made, A Real-Life Guide to Autism. You can purchase this and other materials by looking on the webtalkradio.net website and clicking on the covers. You can also click through to her Facebook page and check out any show you may have missed by looking in the archives. We'll see you soon for another edition of A New Spin on Autism. Answers. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. I can't hear you.